Church family, let me invite you to take God's Word. Join me again in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42 as we continue to make our way through Matthew's Gospel. Uh, more specifically here, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, There is some light at the end of the tunnel, just maybe a couple more sermons in chapter 5, and then uh, we'll move right into chapter 6. So keep keep grinding with me, all right? Hey, you know, here's the reality about the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe just kind of let your eyes fall back to what we have seen together in recent weeks, kind of back to verse 21, maybe in particular. I think there's something in us that when we look at a verse like verse 21 down into verse 22, we say maybe something like, all right, I get it. Um, We shouldn't harbor angry, murderous hearts toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think we get, I think we feel, we sense That when it comes to the brethren, the the body of Christ, we need to, as Jesus says in verses 23 to 26, we need to quickly reconcile. We don't need to let anger, bitterness fester. We want to deal with that. I, I think there's something in us that when we consider our relationship to one another in the life of the church, We look at Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, and there's something that resonates in our hearts. All right, Jesus, I I see that. I've, I've got it. And we commit ourselves to be like Christ and to conform to the truth of His Word. But here's a question for us this morning. What about when it's somebody, maybe outside the life, of the church. What if in your interactions with other people, lost people maybe, those outside the church, what about when someone wrongs us? What what do we do? What is the reflex of our soul when someone hurts us, when they unjustly take from us, or when they use us for their own selfish purposes. What about that? What is the reflex of our souls when moments like that happen? When we get hurt, and when in that moment we at least feel pretty justified at taking matters into our own hands and getting our own revenge. What is happening in our souls in moments such as that? As we come to the text this morning, there is a call here in verses 38-42. to And I think we'll see this same call In next week's text, this teaching and instruction is being given to us to love others according to God's design. 
And when we talk about loving others, Jesus is going to get pretty specific in the text today and Lord willing, next week. That when we're talking about others, we're talking about, again, likely not those so much inside the church, but more so outside the church. Calling us to love them according to God's design. Being called in these verses to love those And maybe we don't ever say this out loud, but we sure think it in our minds or in our hearts. Loving those that just honestly are sometimes difficult to love. What should our heart, mind, and attitude be there? These passages before us this morning, they confront our desire to take vengeance. To deal out retribution from our hands. Or as Jesus will say in verse 38, to take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. When, when, not if, but when, church, you are wronged. When you are sinned against. When you are used and mistreated For the cause of Christ, what is the reflex of your soul? Is it to get even? Or is it to apply the Gospel? Is it to get even? To take the eye for the eye, the tooth for the tooth? Or is it to to apply the love and the mercy and the grace and the patience and the forgiveness of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer for us in our study of God's Word this morning is that our response when we're wronged, when we're sinned against, when we are sorely mistreated, that our reflex would not be revenge, but it would, have, it would be to apply the Gospel and to love others according to God's design. Verse 38, Matthew chapter 5, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now look, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything out loud. But among how many of us Is there something in us that when we read, when they slap you on the cheek, turn the other also? For how many of us is there something in that moment that says, I don't don't know about that. I don't know how I feel about just willingly 
letting people slap me, take from me. And so there are real challenges then, I think, in our own souls to remember and apply the Gospel in these moments. I want us to consider four particular realities of loving people according to God's design. First one's in verse 38, and it's this. Loving others by God's design, how, how God would want us to do that, loving others by God's design means for me, I'm not going to take my own revenge. If I'm going to love people well, if I'm going to love them like God has loved me, if I'm going to, if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, then that means at the beginning that I've got to do away with this desire or even maybe feeling of justice to take my own revenge. Again, the formula that Jesus has been using begins in verse 38. You have heard it said. And here Jesus quotes from the law of God. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a well-known verse of Scripture. This is a well-known idea among the Jewish people. Just as Jesus did back up in verse 33, here in verse 38, He is taking three different verses from the law and combining them together to rightly summarize His teaching on this. He quotes here from Exodus chapter 21, in verse 24, the context of that Exodus passage is of what to do when there is personal injury inflicted upon someone. And in that Exodus 21 passage, specifically, injury toward a woman who is pregnant. And in that, there's that language of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Secondly, Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 20. There's an entire section there dealing about punishment that should be handed out for killing or injuring another human being. And in that is the language. An eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. And finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 21, the context there is of dealing out punishment for giving false testimony against someone. And for the third time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In all of these Old Testament laws, in all of these passages, we see this principle of if they take your eye, take their eye. If they take your tooth, take their tooth. Now, what are those passages in the law really about. In God's law, the purpose of those passages and the principle to which they are always pointing is the principle and practice of the punishment should fit the crime. The punishment should fit the crime. Because here's what began to happen in the hearts of sinful man. And certainly by the time Jesus comes around and is preaching this sermon, the religious leaders of His day, 
They are practicing a perverted idea. They are teaching what is contrary to the law of God. Because the law of God in these matters, that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, that was there as a protection against people who would take matters into their own hands and hand out whatever punishment they saw fit. And so often is the case because of the the sin and depravity in our hearts when we take those matters into our own hands and when we deal out the punishment according to what we think is right, the punishment is not going to fit the crime. It's going to be harsh. It is going to be more severe than necessary. And so the law of God then speaks practically into the lives and the conflicts that arise in the people of God to prevent excessive punishment and to speak to those who would seek to get even, to get their revenge. But again, by the time Jesus comes along and is seated on the hillside this day, the teachers of Israel have taken an eye for an eye using that as a standard of how they treat those who offend them, who hurt from them, who take from them. Once again, they've missed the whole point. And they've taken and twisted and perverted the law of God to meet their own selfish desires. Where God intended protection, where God intended justice, Sinful man used God's law to justify their practice of personal revenge. Even though God's law in other places specifically condemns that practice. Leviticus 19 and verse 18, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22, Do not say... I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. And He will save you. Even though God's Word says clearly in His law, which they knew very well, better than anybody else, at least on the surface, they still were taking matters into their own hands. Still handing out whatever punishment they saw fit. So Jesus speaks into that in verse 38. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Look down to verse 39. But I say to you, not something new, but the heart of what God always intended, I say to you, do not resist an evil person. What does Jesus mean here at the beginning of verse 39? Do not resist an evil person. Is He saying, is He teaching that there is never a time when we should resist an evil person? I think we know the answer to that question. Certainly there are justified times or moments where even Christians, the people of God, would resist an evil person. But as the context will show us, as these examples will bear out before us, what Jesus means here is this. That the disposition, the the default of our hearts, the reflex of our souls should be not a reflex to fight. 
not a reflex to resist, to be in opposition against other people, and that the reflex of our soul should not be to take our own vengeance. To not view people as the enemy. To not view them from the start as though they are the ones that we're here to oppose. And as Jesus will flesh out for us in these examples and verses, the reflex of our soul when we're sinned against, when we're wronged, when we are unjustly abused and treated, the reflex of our soul should be to apply not my own revenge, but the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will pick up this idea in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21 when he says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome by evil And in particular, this evil desire to get even. To take your own vengeance, but overcome that evil with what is good. Church family, we'll return to this point of application at the end, but let me just briefly say, we just simply are not permitted to take our own revenge. Because we are not God. We are not permitted to get even as though we are the ones who have the standard of justice within ourselves. We are called to not take our own vengeance and to wait on a sovereign and wise God to do what He's going to do, when He's going to do it, with whom He's going to do it, where, how He's going to do it. If we're going to love others like God calls us to, We're going to have to lay down our feelings of entitlement to take matters into our own hands. Leave room for God in this. Look at the second half of verse 39. Don't resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. What is Jesus teaching here? Because if we're very honest, if we're very honest, the reflex of our soul when slapped is not, sure, here's my other cheek. Take a shot. That's not the reflex of your soul. When slapped, when abused, there is something in us that certainly feels as though we have been taken advantage of, that we have been mistreated, that some sort of injustice is happening to us, and it may very well be. Is Jesus teaching then that there's never a time when we should defend ourselves? This practice of true and right self-defense. I think we would understand that Jesus is not teaching that. Jesus would not be teaching, let someone just kind of beat you to a bloody pulp in that moment. Again, he's driving at our hearts. Because the the kind of slap that Jesus is referencing here, notice it's a slap on the right cheek. Now, most people are 
right-handed, and if they go to slap someone, it's kind of an open-handed slap, that's going to be on the, the left cheek of the person that they're facing. In order for someone who is right-handed to slap someone on the right cheek, that's going to have to be the most dishonorable and shameful of abuse. The most demeaning, backhanded slap. It was said regarding slaves of biblical times that they would rather be beaten and go hungry than to receive a backhanded slap from someone. Because it's dishonorable. It's demeaning. It erodes and cuts away at the image of God to be so abused. This is a dishonorable thing at the end of verse 39. And when you, Christian, when you, church, when you are dishonored, when you are abused and wronged, when you are cut and offended, what is the reflex of your soul? Jesus is saying here that the reflex of your soul should not be to fight but to forgive. That the reflex of your soul is not to be pugnacious, but to be patient. The call here is to be people of mercy who seek to de-escalate, not escalate these abuses. The call here is not to be easily offended. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's not your glory to fight back. It's not your glory to show how strong and big and bad you are. It's not your glory to demean people that have hurt you with with a stream of cutting hard words. It's your glory It's your honor to overlook an offense. Is that the reflex of your soul? Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, non-resistance and forbearance are to be the rule among Christians. They are to endure personal ill usage without coming to blows. They are to be as the anvil when bad men are the hammer. And they are to overcome by patient forgiveness. Saints, if we're going to love others according to God's design, we got to lay down the feelings of entitlements. To defend our name. To get even and take our revenge. A similar idea is secondly in verse 40. Second reality of loving others according to God's design is that means we will not seek to defend our own honor. Similar idea as to what Jesus is saying in verse 39, but loving others according to God's design means I'm going to have to be willing to be walked over I'm going to have to be willing to endure some mistreatment 
and not rise up in those moments of dishonor and demand demand my own honor. Remember Paul? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10? This, guy, this guy's not a real apostle. If he were a real apostle, he wouldn't be so big and bad in letter, but then be so weak and timid in person. What does Paul say? It's not about me, right? It's not about my honor. It's not about my name. It's not about my glory. It's about the glory of God in the face of Christ. So then, verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat also. Again, what, what, what is this, Jesus? Someone wants to sue you and they want to take your shirt, that tunic, that garment just closest to your skin. If they want that as payment from you, And the idea seems to be here in verse 40 of uh, maybe some injustice at at work here. Or it it could be that there really is a a debt that must be paid. Jesus says if they want to sue you for your shirt, give them your coat as well. The coat was valuable. Valuable in this day. It was obviously the outer garment that was worn it served uh, a lot of uses certainly that of warmth the coat was so valuable it was often especially if you were poor it was probably the most valuable thing that you owned because it offered you warmth Uh, at night you would use it as a blanket in fact the coat was so valuable and necessary again particularly to those who were poor, that the custom became if someone lets you borrow their coat, you've got to have it back to them before the sun goes down because they'll need that at at nighttime. But here, in verse 40, Jesus says, if they sue you for your coat, then take, if they sue you for your shirt, then give them your coat also. So what is Jesus teaching here? Is He teaching that we're to just let people take everything from us, leaving us out in the cold, poor, destitute, nothing? Obviously, no. It's not what Jesus would be teaching. So here's the principle in verse 40. When you are unjustly wrong, or it could be, again in verse 40, There's a real debt that's owed here. And you are being asked, maybe in embarrassing, humiliating ways, to pay up. The principle is that we would not hold tightly to our own honor. That we would not hold tightly to what we think is owed unto us. When treated rudely, when treated unjustly, when people take more from us, maybe than was even offered, 
we are called here to not clench tightly. Because God is our defender, we hold loosely to our own honor. We hold loosely to what we think is due unto us. We hold loosely to what we think is ours. And we do not have to defend and avenge our own honor. Church, listen. In the path of Christ-exalting obedience and Christ-exalting Gospel-advancing ministry, people are going to take unjustly from you. And if you're not ready for that, you're probably not yet ready for ministry. They're going to take unjustly from you. They're going to take your resources. They're going to misuse what you give them. They're going to misuse it, and then they're going to come back and ask you for more and more and more. They're going to take unjustly from you. Church, in in the path of serving others, taking the Gospel into the lost and dying world, people are going to use you. They're absolutely going to use you. Listen, they, they use Jesus. They're going to use you. Jesus fed over 5,000 people with this unbelievable miracle. He takes a few little sardines, a few little pieces of bread, prays over them, feeds thousands basketfuls left over. And in that moment when they're sitting there on the grass fully satisfied, Jesus looks at them and says, I'm the bread of life. Come, eat from this bread of life and you'll never be hungry again. you remember their response? Uh, no thanks. Not here for that. We're here as long as you meet our felt needs. We're here as long as you fill our belly. But when you start talking about all that spiritual stuff, nope, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And on that day, many of them followed Him no more. To such a degree that Jesus looks at His disciples and says, are you guys going to leave too? Folks, listen, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. But in the path of loving others according to God's design, you're going to get used. And people are going to take unjustly from you. They're going to defame your honor, your name, and it's not your job to hold on to that with a white-knuckled grip. Hold loosely to your honor. Do not be easily offended Wait for God. Thirdly, in the path of Christ-exalting obedience, loving others, uh, or in the path of uh, loving others according to God's design, loving others means I'm going to go the extra mile for them. I'm going to go the extra mile. Verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This might be the most detestable thing that Jesus has said up to this point. Because here's what the Jewish people know when they hear that in verse 41. 
the practice originally with the Persian Empire, now with the Roman Empire, these Gentile dogs, they would say, now occupying their God-given land, the practice is when the Roman soldier comes by and looks at you and says, hey, pick that up and walk with me and take it to such and such a place, that is probably the most demeaning thing that could ever be asked of a Jewish citizen. You mean to tell me that I'm supposed to pick up this thing and touch this unclean thing and go with this unclean Gentile and do His dirty work for Him? Jesus says that when you're pressed into service, To go one mile? Essentially, put a smile on your face and go with that person two miles. Literally, go the extra mile. Right? Go farther than is asked of you. Do more than is required of you. If we're going to love people according to God's design... We cannot love them only up to the point where it makes us a little uncomfortable and then we back out and we're done. Gospel ministry and loving people well means you're going to have to go the extra mile. And let me tell you, it's pretty muddy and it's pretty messy when you walk the extra mile with sinful people. And I know that that's true because it's pretty messy when you walk with me the extra mile because I'm a sinner desperately in need of the grace of Jesus just like your lost neighbor, your lost co-worker. But if we're going to love people rightly according to God's design, we can't just love people up until the point where we get a little uncomfortable and then we're like, yep, that's it. I've gone my mile. Go the extra mile. Listen, people are going to use you. They're going to press upon you. They're going to repeatedly ask you for things to do things, to go places, to meet needs, and probably in that, your spirit's going to be a little provoked. I've already walked a mile with you. I've already done that thing that you've asked. I've already been down that road. Got the t-shirt to show it. Why do I have to keep walking down that road with you? Because Jesus keeps walking down that road with us, saints. That's why we go the extra mile. It's going to take more time. I know that. It's going to take your time. And your time is precious. You're you're busy. I know that. So it's going to take your time. And it's going to take some extra time. Energy. It's going to demand more, but just as Christ poured Himself out for you, pour yourself out for others. Fourthly, loving others according to God's design means I'm going to give generously. It means I'm going to give 
generously. Verse 42, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. This principle has been around since the law. Turn back to Deuteronomy 15, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting in verse 7. Jesus driving here, driving at this principle of generosity, not just doing the bare minimum, but of generosity. This has always been God's heart. It's always been God's intent. Deuteronomy 15, look down to verse 7. If there's a poor man with you, one of your own brothers, in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. What Jesus is telling us in verse 42 is this. Church, hold loosely. Hold loosely to the world's goods. Hold loosely to your own possessions. Hold loosely to your resources and give generously. Charles Spurgeon said, be generous, for a miser is no follower of Christ. Church, when the reflex of your soul is, he's just going to spend that money on alcohol, give generously. When the reflex of your soul is, she made her bed, she can lie in it. Give generously. When the reflex of your soul is, I've already given. Give generously. Why? Why? Why go the extra mile? Why give generously? Why not take my own revenge? Why not defend my own honor. Here's why. Because God has first been generous to you. That's why. God has first been generous to you. And remember this, that God, Christian, has not treated you according to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And aren't you glad of that? Aren't we glad 
that God has not treated you, Christian, according to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. God took your punishment, rightly deserved. He took that and placed it upon Jesus. And now all you know that I know is mercy and grace and patience and love and forgiveness. God has not taken out retribution on you even though even though your sin has offended a holy God. Listen, there, there's no offense that ever happens to you that is greater than the offense of your sin against a holy God. And God was patient with you, saints. Long-suffering. And did not return an eye for an eye. So because of these things, and because vengeance belongs to God, we're not permitted to return evil or take our own revenge. We're called to be patient, generous, gracious. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See to it that no one repays one another evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Remember Joseph? the end of Genesis chapter 50 verses 19 and 21 he's the second most powerful person on the planet but you remember how he got to Egypt his brothers sold him into slavery <laughs> they sold him into slavery and now here they are before him and he has the absolute power to do to them whatever he wants to do to them and nobody Nobody's going to question it. Do you remember what Joseph says to his brothers? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Do not fear. But maybe more importantly than that, definitely more important than that, Joseph prefigures for us Christ. Who while hanging on the cross in Luke 23 and verse 34, remember what he said? Remember what he prayed in that moment? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When you are wronged, what's the reflex of your soul? To get even, to take your revenge, or to love others according to God's design? just a moment we come to the Lord's Supper table together to remind ourselves of God's wrath poured out on Christ God's grace and mercy love and forgiveness how can we take these elements into our hands that tell the story of such a beautiful gospel and yet seek our own revenge Let's pray that the Lord would move and work in our hearts in this way. Let's pray together.
Father, we, uh, we are sinful people living in a sinful, broken world where we, just as Your Son was mistreated, abused, and sinned against, so, Father, we will be. God, I pray that we would just hold so loosely God, to our own honor and glory. God, that we would lay down God, that we would lay down our feelings of entitlement to take our own revenge. God, that we would not try to take sovereignty into our own hands. Father, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. God, that we would love our neighbor as we have been loved by You. That we would seek their good, not their harm. And God, that we would seek to live out the Gospel. God, make us tender to these things. Father, as we come to receive the Lord's Supper this morning, God, may the work of Christ stir in our hearts as we do this very familiar thing and we hear very familiar words. Lord, I pray specifically this morning, God, that we would remember Your grace and mercy that has not poured out upon us the principle of an eye for an eye. But God, that that has been poured out on Christ and in Him, through His body and blood, death, burial, and resurrection. Father, we know mercy. God, help us to honor You, to worship You during this time. We ask and pray it in Christ's great name. Amen. As our